Let's bow for a word of prayer and we'll start. Father, we thank you that you are our all-sufficiency. We thank you that you are the one that as your people we can call upon for all of our needs. And we look to you, Lord, to open your word to our hearts and minds that you'd guide this meeting, that your word would speak to each heart here as they need to hear. We commit ourselves to you and we just look to you as your people to bless us this morning. We just commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you would turn to familiar passage in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And verse 1 is where we'll start. Jesus said in verse 1, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If any man enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. For no better title, I titled this The Good Shepherd doesn't get any better than that because when we give consideration to how Jesus here represents himself as the good shepherd as the keeper of the sheep as the tender the overseer the feeder the protector you can't help but and and I'm and I didn't mean to present it this way but we all be partaking of communion today and I just thought it'd be a good remembrance to remind ourselves of who he is to us. And if we look at this uh, text, we have to, we don't have to, but I think if we go back a chapter, the chapter before is about the man born blind, right? We know the story that the man was born blind and the disciples asked, "Was, was it his sin or was it his parents' sin that caused this blindness? And he said what? Neither but that the works of God may be worked. And he made spittle. He spit on the ground, made some mud, rubbed it on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the blind man went and washed. And he saw. And his eyes were opened. But he only knew that it was a man called Jesus. Right? The Pharisees, actually the neighbors, saw the man and said, this looks like him. But we only know him as the one who was blind and couldn't see. His whole life he'd been blind. And now he comes back seeing. We recognize him, but we don't recognize him as the blind man. So they bring him to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, who then begin to apply their standard upon the man who would do such a horrible thing on the Sabbath. 
And they placed upon Jesus and his works their own standard of righteousness, and they condemned not only the man who was making a testimony as to who healed him, but of Jesus himself. Because Jesus never met their standard, did he? They had their own standard by which they measured who was from God and who would do the things of God. And of course, a man from God would never do anything on the Sabbath that broke their extended hundreds and hundreds of additional rules that they added to make sure people stayed in line. But if we look in verse 15 of chapter 9, it says, Then the Pharisees asked him again. He's asking uh, the man who received his sight how he received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So already in this chapter, you begin to see the Pharisees are saying one thing. And the man who was healed is saying something else. And it causes division amongst people. In verse 20, his parents who were brought before the Pharisees and said, Is this your son? And of course, they were a little afraid. A little, little bit more than a little afraid of the Pharisees. But they answered and said, his parents answered and said, verse 20, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, by, but what means he now sees we do not know or who opened his eyes we do not know. He's of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. I hope none of you parents are that cowardly. Because if I had a son born blind and was suddenly made well, I would hope I'd have enough in me to testify to the one who did it and not allow the opinions, the voices of the religious elite keep me from speaking what I know is true. We should all be like that. There should always be no fear of being cast out of a religious system, or even a family because they don't like what you're saying. But we see here that this man was reviled in verse 28, and they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. And then in verse 34, 33, he's, the man replies and says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in your sins and you are teaching us. And what did they do to the blind man who now could see? They cast him out. You know, you think that's no big deal, but back to those days, you were cast out of the Jewish synagogue. You were also segregated from all places of business. I mean, you lost pretty much everything. All of your associations were cut off and terminated. But what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Verse 35. And Jesus heard that this blind man that he had healed, they heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. I love the fact that a person can be put out of one fold and Jesus goes and finds him to bring him in to another, to his own. He stood up for what... I, I, I can't imagine the man would ever back down from what he had received. He'd been born blind. Now I see. Now the very one who healed me is Jesus, but now I see him. He is the Christ. And yeah, I'm cast out of society. I'm cast out of everything I've known. I've ca I'm cast out of my family. I'm, I'm separated from them. But Jesus comes and finds us. And he brings us into his own fold. So in, ver in chapter 10, we see now 
that he continues talking. I believe he continues talking, and these men are within earshot of everything he's saying. And in this illustration that he's about to give, he's identifying two types of people. He's identifying thieves and robbers, the good shepherd, and the object of both is who? The sheep. So in verse 1, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now, I've never raised sheep. I don't know anybody in here that's ever raised sheep. I don't, you know, I don't know how much about sheep herding, so I had to read a lot. And if you've got Philip Keller's book on a shepherd looks at Psalm 23 or this very passage, it's very interesting read because it, it sheds light on the fact that a sheepfold or a sheep pen would have been this place that had a door and a gate and it was walled in potentially. And it was there for what? The protection of those sheep, right? They were kept in there generally, I guess, at night to keep them from predators or from rustlers or for people who would come in and want to steal those sheep or destroy those sheep or kill those sheep. And he says that anyone who does not enter by the gate, obviously this pen then had a gate. It had a way to enter. Somebody must have been in their garden the gate because anybody else who's going over the side obviously is not going to the gate because they have no access. So the first thing Jesus says in describing these persons that are thieves and robbers is they do not enter the door but climb up some other way. They enter the sheepfold unlawfully and, in, and illegally. They gain access to the sheep in an illegal fashion. They're stealers. They're plunderers. They are seeking to take what does not belong to them. These are the thieves and robbers that Jesus begins to illustrate within the earshot of the religious elite of this day. And he's making a point that anyone who climbs over into the sheepfold any other way but by this gate would be one who was self-appointed, decided that these sheep are for my taking. These sheep are for my benefit. I want whatever is in that sheep pen, and I'm going to do it by whatever means I can legally or illegally. So he goes on in verse 2, or I'm sorry, verse 5, and I'm only, I only want to highlight the thieves and robbers to start with because we're going to end with the good shepherd. But he's describing these thieves and robbers, and he goes on in verse 5, and he says that the sheep, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. We've already seen in chapter 9 that the blind man is testifying to who Jesus is. The Pharisees are saying, no way, this man cannot be of God. And what was that? It was a division. There's two voices, isn't there? There's one group saying, no, this can't be right. There's another group that says, yes, this is right. And the crowd is divided. They're trying to discern who is right and who is wrong. These are the strangers that are in the world. In verse 19 and verse 10, we're not going to get that far, but later on it says, there was a division again amongst the Jews because of these sayings. Many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Two voices, two ways to think and believe and perceive something. Jesus is making a point and saying, the thieves and the robbers are strange voices to the sheep. The sheep may hear what they're saying, but they don't respond, right? Is that what he's saying? He's saying that the, the sheep do not know the voice of a stranger. Do they entertain the voice of a stranger? What does he say? He says they flee. Now, from what I understand, when a shepherd comes to the sheep pen and calls his own sheep, as we'll get to in a minute, 
they know the voice of the shepherd. Their ears perk up. They're like, I, I hear him. He's here. They're listening. A stranger shows up, and they just buy their time. They, got, they don't want anything to do with that. There's no trust in that. But still, in two chapters, we have a division of people who are hearing two sides of the story. They're hearing one side saying that Jesus cannot possibly be of God. We've already established that if any man does a healing or restores a crippled person or a lame man on the Sabbath, he couldn't possibly be of God. And others are saying, I'm well. Jesus has made me well. You say whatever you want. I'm not listening. In fact, I'm going to flee. And that's what the sheep do. The thieves and the robbers have a voice just like the shepherd. Only the true sheep do not follow but flee. And then verse 6 of chapter 10, if you want to just drop down to there. We read that Jesus uses this parable or illustration. They didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. How many times have we seen in Scripture where Jesus is speaking and even using parables on purpose? Why? He's speaking. Not everybody understands, do they? Not everybody hears what Jesus says. Not everybody in this world understands what he means. Not everybody around us understand us when we talk to them about our Lord and Shepherd. They don't hear. Do you? Are we hearers? Are we hearing his voice? Or are we listening to the voice of strangers? Jesus says in verse 8, continuing with the thieves and the robbers, he says, all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, obviously, he's not talking about Moses. He's not talking about the prophets or the true shepherds of Israel back in the Old Testament. But who he is talking about are those self-appointed leaders, such as the context we have here, the Pharisees, those who set themselves up as true shepherds of God's people. They enter by unlawful means. They climb up some other way. They are not sent by the owner of the sheep, nor have a true concern for the sheep. And we live in a world today, I'm sure most of you in here do not waste a lot of time listening to religious talk or ministers who are on TV. Because when I get to being on TV, you don't have to listen to me anymore. <laughs> I don't expect to ever get to TV. But there are a lot of voices out there, aren't there? There's a lot of self-appointed so-called people who are tending and shepherding the sheep. And this is what Jesus is warning about. He's not only saying that the thieves and robbers come unlawfully, but they're also seeking to speak to the sheep and draw them away. Because this is, and I'm going to get into this next time, is how the shepherds, the, the, the thieves and the robbers, their, their wiles, their schemes, their tactics, the way in which they try to tempt us, deceive us, and lead us. Anyone in here that's not hearing other voices, I'm not talking about, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're not hearing voices, I hope. You know what I'm talking about. But they're all out there, aren't they? There's continuous voices calling to you, wanting to convince you of something other than what Jesus has called us to. I turn over Ezekiel 34. You know, there's plenty of verses we could look at where Jesus, or I'm um, sorry, the prophets, God 
has some pretty scathing rebukes of the shepherds of that day. And we got to remember that those men like the Pharisees who appoint themselves as guides, they, they appoint themselves as guides of the blind, leaders, people who are supposedly tending to the sheep. They need, they, they've totally forgotten that the sheep belong to who? They're God's people. And the shepherd better make sure that he's tending to God's sheep, not only as he's been appointed to, but doing it correctly, honestly, and properly because you are going to answer to the owner of the sheep. And Jesus is saying, listen, all you thieves and robbers who came in and appointed yourself as leaders, this is what I've got to say to you in Ezekiel 34 and verse 2. He said, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherd feed the flocks? You eat the fat and you clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, and they may no longer be food for them. And if you continue on in that chapter, which we may visit again, He's promising a shepherd to come. Because as far as God is concerned, Israel is his flock. Israel are his people. The shepherds, just like you'll see in popular Christianity today, they, I don't believe, care about the sheep. They are out there, gimme, gimme. Are they feeding the flock? I don't know. I'm not judging them all. I'm just saying when those out there tend to want to appoint themselves as shepherds of God's flock, they need to really be careful because these are the ones whom God's own blood was shed for, Acts 20. Now, Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 23, and 25, you can read even more scathing rebukes of the shepherds of that day. But back to John. I hope you had your finger in there. Keep your finger in Ezekiel 34 unless you've already swiped your device and it's gone. Back to John, verse 10. I'm sure we have this verse memorized. But Jesus continues in his illustration of the thieves and the robbers and those who speak with strange voices. And in verse 10, he says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's all he comes for. There are those influenced by the devil himself. And they are out there to do nothing but 
steal, kill, and destroy. It's been that way ever since the Garden of Eden. When we look at a word like kill, it really has the idea of slaughter or sacrifice. This thief and this robber who has climbed up over into the sheep pen is looking to do what? Slaughter the sheep. These, these men, these persons, these, these concepts, these philosophies, these voices, they're not there to benefit the sheep. They're there to steal the sheep, to kill and sacrifice and slaughter the sheep and to destroy the sheep. They have no other purpose than to do that. 1 John 5 tells us, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Is it not true that Jesus taught us that in the last days there would be many false Christs and false prophets who would arise? How many in here think they're not out there? Any hands? How many think that they're not thieves and robbers and have a voice? They are. So we can't always look at everything we hear and see and just... Eh, sometimes we need to hear and flee. So next time we'll deal with how the thieves and robbers set out to steal people's lives, the life of your marriage, the life of your business, how he sets out to steal the life of a church, how he tends to want to steal, kill, and destroy the very vitality you have spiritually. We'd be foolish to think that these thieves and robbers and these voices who come to steal, kill, and destroy have ceased and desist just because we sit in this grand cathedral. We've heard the word so long and for so many years, and the voices just seem to be getting louder. And we need to be well aware that we can't entertain these voices. We need to flee. He goes on in, in verse 12 of chapter 10. And now he's going to contrast the difference between a true shepherd and a hireling. Verse 12, he says, But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I've known probably a few people in my life who considered... Being a minister was a vocation. It was a job. It's just another job. And see, unless that person, and I've known some, go to a church and attach themselves in such a way that they learn about the sheep and they care about the sheep, how effective can they be? Do they care about the sheep or is it just a paycheck? We've heard forever. There are too many people out there in the world who... The next step is what? A bigger church and a higher salary. And then from there, it's a bigger church and a higher salary and maybe a nice car. And then from there, we get on TV. I'm certainly not here to say that every minister on TV is bad. I, please don't, don't, don't write me a letter and send me an email. But the hireling is one who only tends the sheep for wages or for other benefit for himself. He's not the owner of the sheep. Christ is truly the owner of the sheep, nor does he care about or know the sheep. Jesus tells us in this few verses that the hireling, when danger comes to scatter the sheep, 
He's not willing to risk anything to protect the sheep, but he flees. I heard stories, or I've read stories, where people who had herds of sheep, and they'd have a young boy out there tending them as the shepherd. And these sheep, they cared about. At least this boy did. Because when the wolf came, or whatever came to take one of his sheep, he risked life and limb to fend off a wild animal. And he suffered greatly. He didn't die, as our good shepherd will here in a minute. But he was willing to put himself between harm's way and the sheep that he so desperately cared about and knew. Not many would do that. Hirelings would do what? Ah, I'm out of here. I'm gone. Too many dangers. Too many risks. It's too hard. That's what a hireling does. But Jesus illustrates to us the nature and character of a thief and a robber and a hireling. But he doesn't leave us there. He gives us a characterization, an an illustration, a description of who he is. Who he is for us, to us, because he's the one who knows his sheep. He's the one who cares about his sheep. It says, thieves and robbers and hirelings compared to the good shepherd don't even come close. Back in verse 2, chapter 10, after describing that the thief and the robber is one who unlawfully seeks to enter the sheepfold, he says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now here we have one who has legal access. He's the only one that it's going to, it says here in a minute that the doorkeeper opens up. So in other words, there's somebody at the door, there's somebody at the gate, there's somebody making sure that whoever has access to these sheep has a legal right to do this. I believe the doorkeeper is God. And he opens the door to the shepherd of the sheep because he is the shepherd. He doesn't enter unlawfully. He is the one who's been appointed. He's the one in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, you'll read on, that he's the one that came after the line of David. He is the shepherd that God would send to shepherd his people. So the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He's the herdsman, the protector, the keeper, the one who tends, feeds, and cares for the sheep. Isn't that what Jesus told Peter on the beach? Lord, do you love, uh, Peter, do you love me? Attend my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Well, yeah, tend my sheep. One of those words there is the same as shepherd. Verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. If you were to ponder these very characteristics of how the sheep respond to the shepherd and how the shepherd is with his sheep, you could ask yourself, are you one who hears his voice? When Jesus calls, do you hear? Are you too busy to hear? Are you too busy listening to other contrary voices? Are we those who, when Jesus speaks to us, whether it be through his word, whether it be through a preacher, whether it be be through your own study or, or a neighbor speaks to you, whatever means God chooses to speak to you, do you hear? Are you hearing his voice? Are we perceiving his voice among all the others? In fact, do our ears perk up when he speaks? Because when the shepherd speaks, you want to hear. You really do. What I like is he goes on and says he calls his own sheep by name. He's got a personal knowledge of his sheep. 
He's not just calling sheep. He's calling sheep by name. He's calling you by name if you're one of his sheep. Have you ever heard your name called? I hope so. Has he ever called your name? It says that he leads them out. So he's taking them from the pen to a good place, I would assume. I don't think he's taking the sheep out of the pen to run them off a cliff. He's not taking the sheep out of the pen to run them out in the middle of a highway to get hit by a truck. Jesus speaks his sheep here. He calls them by name, but then he's leading them somewhere, isn't he? He's taking them from the the pen, that place of safety and security, and now he's leading them somewhere. Do the sheep trust the shepherd? Do they? They trust him explicitly, don't they? Wherever he's leading, I'm going to go. Yeah, it looks like we're walking along a pretty high little precipice of a path here, but I know he's leading us somewhere that's going to be for our best interests. I may not like this valley of death that I'm passing through, but I know he's taking me somewhere for my best interest and for my good. He goes on and says that he goes before them. A shepherd that leads. Jesus Christ is saying, I am not going to lead my sheep. I am not leading my sheep anywhere where I haven't gone already. I'm not taking them on a path and going, you're on your own. He's already been there. How else can we follow in his footsteps, as First Peter says? unless he's already been there. Our shepherd has already been where he's leading us to. He's already endured all temptation, all trials. He's suffered as great as a man can suffer. And he's leading us somewhere. We may not like the path all the time, but he's the good shepherd. He goes before them. It's a shepherd. It's as if the shepherd, he accompanies us on our journey. We've been told that he never leaves us nor forsakes us, does he? Never leaves us or forsakes us. Didn't he give the great commission in Matthew 28, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. We have some that do that here. In, their, in whatever call people have. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And how did he finish that? I am with you even until the end of the age. There's no place we're going. There's no place that God is leading us that he hasn't already been. He doesn't expect us to go where he isn't leading He doesn't expect us to go without his accompanying us. Then he says that the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They have total and complete confidence and trust to him that where he is leading, it is in their best interest. And Jesus goes on in verse 7. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he's repeating pretty much what he's already said that they didn't understand. He is the door. He is the way. And he is the life. We don't enter into anything of his without going through him, do we? He's the good shepherd. He's the one that we follow. He's the one that we enter through. He's the one that we allow to be led by. I know you know this, but we're going to turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I'm sure most of you have it memorized.
You know, I think about all the ways in which Jesus unfolds who he is in the scripture. All the different illustrations and ways in which he portrays himself. It's not just one way, is it? And sometimes he's, he's, he's rebuking. Sometimes he's a shepherd. Sometimes, I mean, it, it, he's all these things to us. But in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is our shepherd leads us in paths of righteousness. He leads us beside still waters, and he restores our soul. Now, Albert Barnes, in reference to that, he said, with reference to restoring my soul, it says, he, it literally means he causes my life to return. He quickens me or causes me to live. The word soul here means life or spirit, and not the soul in the strictest sense in which the term is now used. It refers to the spirit when exhausted, weary, or sad. And the meaning is that God quickens or vivifies the spirit when thus exhausted. The reference is not to the soul as wandering or backsliding from God, but to the life or spirit as exhausted, weary, troubled, anxious, worn down with care and toil. The heart thus exhausted, he reanimates, he brings back its vigor. He encourages it, excites it to new effort, and fills it with joy. He restores our soul. The shepherd who we call our Lord leads us, guides us, and takes us places that are green, that are peaceful. And in doing so, he restores our souls. If you would turn to uh, Matthew 9. When you, when you look at the life of Jesus and how he ministered to people, how he felt about people, the, the little phrases that are in Scripture that sometimes we read over so quickly and go, wow, I never saw Jesus quite like that. But when he says it, I think we should listen. In verse 9, uh, chapter 9, I'm sorry, and verse 35. Matthew 9, 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. This is how Jesus feels about us as his sheep. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus went about teaching in every synagogue, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You can't say it enough. Jesus taught, and then he healed, delivered, brought refreshment to people, restored their souls. But when he saw the multitudes, all these that he had healed and had taught, but when he saw the multitudes, he was, what, moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. He looks out on these multitudes of people that he had taught, and he healed them all. And yet he still looks across the multitudes, and what does he see? People who are weary. People who need to be tended to. It's one thing to be healed. It's another thing to not be weary. Obviously, if you heal them all, and yet he sees these people as wearied and scattered, and he's having compassion on them, he's already done all he can do then, isn't it? He's taught them and he's healed them. 
Why don't they just go about their way, skipping their way home, going, I'm healed? Because he saw the need for them to be taught. Because in chapter 10, or he finishes that chapter there, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And what do we see in chapter 10? And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. They went into town after town and they taught the kingdom of God and they healed people. Jesus is not just in heaven separate from us in such a way that we're just down here struggling along, hoping we make it, and, and he's kind of prodding us along. He's right here with us, isn't he? He's the good shepherd who we hear. He's the good shepherd who leads us out. He's the good shepherd that we follow. He's the one who has compassion on the weary and on those who have no strength because he's looking to give us life. He wants everyone in this room to have a life that's, can't find the word, should have wrote it down. Exuberant, joyful, something about this living water that's supposed to be coming out of us is what Christians are supposed to have as their shepherd leads them and guides them and tends them. And Jesus seeks to do that. In verse 10, chapter 10, if you're not, oh, back to John, chapter 10. We already know the beginning of that verse, 10.10 says, The thief comes, those who come unlawfully seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. He contrasts with, I have come, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. There are thieves. There are robbers. There are those who seek to take your life. But Jesus came that they may have life and that more abundantly. Now, I'm all for prosperity. I really am. We should all prosper. We should all have plenty. But if my life, as Jesus taught in 12, Luke 12, my life does not consist in the abundance of things which I own. So what does my life consist of? Eating and drinking? Is my life not more than food and raiment? Is not your life more than physical things. It is. Jesus came that we might have life. We might have his life flowing out of us, living as representatives of him. I like having more than enough. And I've got more than enough. In fact, everyone in this room, the poor, poorest person in this room, has got way more than I think it's 92% of the world. We have a lot in this country. But do we have life? Do we have life? Or do we just have stuff? Because when we begin to equate stuff with life, I'm going to tell you right now, that's one of those thieves and robbers who's looking to deplete your life. Destroy your life. We can't serve God and mammon. It's our good shepherd who gives us all that we need. Didn't we read Psalm 23 starts with what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because he's my shepherd. 
He's never going to leave his sheep without enough. In fact, he's going to open up green pastures to his sheep of plenty because he's our shepherd and we're his sheep. We hear his voice and we follow him. But we come to the hirelings, and he contrasts himself with the hirelings in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And it wasn't too awful long ago, I remember Leonard doing two, two messages on the I am's of John. Very good to look, you look at those I am's. Jesus never says, I'm trying to be, I hope to be, one day I suspect I may be. No, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the life. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by them. Are you known by your shepherd? Does he know you? Is he so familiar with you? Are you known by him? Do you see yourself as being known by your good shepherd? Are you aware of the fact that wherever he leads you, he already knows you so well that he knows how to lead you, where to lead you, and why you need to go there? He knows you. He knows his sheep. You who are his, you're not just some random person that decided one day to get saved. He called you by name so that he would be your shepherd. You would be his sheep, those that he cares about, those that he knows. Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. I'll just read it, or part of it. 1 through 18. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. For you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. You got to read that at least once a week, the whole psalm. Because you come to realize that the shepherd, the God whom we say we serve and follow is one who is so acquainted with all of our risings and goings and our ways and all the things that are in our lives. He's already well aware of them all. But he says in verse 15 of John 10, he says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And he does what? I lay down my life for the sheep. In the context and in the comparison of a hireling. See, the hireling is out there tending the sheep as long as it's for his well-being. As long as he can collect a wage or he can uh, gain some benefit from doing it, and everything is peaceful, and everybody's happy, and everything is good, he's content to do that. But what happens when the wolf comes? Where does he go? He goes right at the wolf, or does he run? He flees. But what does the good shepherd do? What has the good shepherd done for you? When the wolf came to steal, kill, and destroy and scatter you. He lays down his life for the sake of the sheep. Are the sheep in grave danger? Are the sheep in mortal danger? Are the sheep in danger 
eternally. Is there a danger that faces the sheep that may separate them forever from their creator? But what do we have in Jesus, our good shepherd? One who places himself and voluntarily sacrifices his life, takes the danger on so that the sheep can have life. He voluntarily lays his life down so that the sheep can have life. Now, is that not what we remember when we take communion? Is that not what we should remember? That the good shepherd who knows us so well, who speaks to us and calls us by name, who leads us in all these good places. He's the one who placed himself in what we would say here, in danger. He placed himself before the sheep who were going to be eternally damned. And instead, he lays his life down for the sheep and faces it, endures all the suffering, all the reviling, all the beating, all the scourging, all the spitting, all the whipping, so that the sheep could have life. And he voluntarily sacrifices himself and places himself and accepts the danger that they would face as our good shepherd and he goes to the cross and dies so that you and I, as dumb, straying sheep, could live. Romans 5, 7 tells us, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. We might think of that. Somebody's good enough, I might die for them. But he's comparing it to who? Us, sinners. But God demonstrates his own love toward us as our good shepherd, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our good shepherd laid down his life voluntarily as a sacrifice to protect the sheep. He gave his life so we could have life. First Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you, like sheep going astray, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. As we partake of communion this morning, can we take the time to ponder and remember the one who took our place, faced the grave danger of what was coming the sheep's way and placed himself in that danger and laid down his life so that we could be well, so that we could have life. You know, we partake of communion. What we're doing is we're fellowshipping or we're partaking of what has been done for us. It's supposed to be a remembrance of what's been done for us. He bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. The chastisement to obtain our peace was laid upon him. He was bruised for our iniquities. This is your good shepherd stepping in the way of the lion or the bear 
or whatever was coming your way and voluntarily laid down his life so you could have life. Amen.